What if we could reimagine the traditional notion of a high flyer? Hey friends, welcome back. Welcome to the High Flyers podcast, where we do reimagine a high flyer, showcase relatable role models and their journey in work and life, including their sunrise, magic moments, hustle, and much, much more to help you achieve your potential, become your best self, and continue to be 1% better every single day. I'm your host, Vidya Tagawal, and let's get started. How do we create change? How do we change things for the better? And not just for the people who have money, but for everybody else who actually can't, can't um, feel like they, they don't have a voice. Who is going to who is going to represent these people who's going to look after them so i think it's that sense of fairness and sense of feeling like it's not right or like there's something i can do i can't just sit back and watch that's briska ongonga dane and this is episode 65. today you learn about briska's journey with the sunrise in kenya in an entrepreneurial family but having the desire to build her own independence briska's drive for fairness and accountability led her into journalism, and then living in various parts of Asia, including Vietnam and China, and then moving to Australia. I first heard about Priska thanks to her work building her startup Bearsop on a mission to reduce single plastic waste and provide products better for your skin and the planet. So I asked Priska about her first connection with sustainability, how she founded Bearsop, participating in accelerators to clarify her business plan, and raising capital through crowdfunding. Please do enjoy, and thank you as always for supporting the show. I'm always grateful for your rating and review on your podcast app, or share your feedback directly with us via Instagram or LinkedIn at the High Flyers Podcast, or via email. The links in our show notes. Briska and Gunga Dane, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. We had a fantastic journey. So when I came across your name and profile, I was really excited to have this opportunity to have you on the show. A good place to start for listeners always is to get some quick facts about the guests. So okay. could you tell us where you were born and where you live now? Um, I was born in Kenya in a small town called Siaya. You can probably Google it, S-I-A-Y-A. Um, and I live in... Elwood, a beautiful suburb in Melbourne. Yeah. And what was your first job and what do you do now? So my first job was actually a journalist, actually. Um, and now founder of Bearsoft. So yeah, super exciting. And doing some really cool stuff, which, which we'll definitely cover in this conversation. And, and the purpose of this show is really reimagining a high flyer. So I wonder, is there a high flyer in your life that you feel hasn't got the recognition they deserve? Mm, that's. I feel like I, there's so many. It's hard to actually pinpoint one. Um, I think my, for example, my best friend um, Diana Ripoll, I feel is a is a high flyer. Um, she's done. She's run amazing businesses, sold a few, really from bootstrapping, being a single mom, and there's so many in my network, mostly mums doing amazing things, just bootstrapping, hustling, day in, day out. Super cool. And and maybe 
if we start with your sunrise and in childhood and you mentioned about Kenya, I'm really fascinated by that. I was fortunate to visit Kenya about 20 years ago and I had a fantastic time. And you're the first guest on the show who's got a Kenyan background and heritage. So can you tell us about that? Can you tell us, tell us about your memories growing up and the influence of family? Oh, absolutely. Um, look, I've been away for so long that one would imagine that some of that memory would be lost to me by now. But it's amazing that the older you get, the more ref- the more those memories actually refresh in your head. Um, I don't know whether that's true for most people, but it's true for me. Um, the last time I was back in Kenya was just before COVID hit, um, which was in 2019. And I do remember quite vividly uh, being back in Kenya. And to me, it was very obvious to see the energy that most people have there. Everyone has this brightness and this sort of positive outlook to life. And it's almost like this, almost like you can't hurt me. Like they are so positive and so happy. Um, and they obviously, yes, you can imagine some of them, you know, have a lot of challenges with life as most people do everywhere in the world, but especially as an, in, a, in an emerging economy, even more so. But yet, I actually felt like they had this sense of happiness and wholesomeness that I felt like I lacked, like I'd gone, I've, I'd gone to actually lose in my journey to where I am now. And being there did bring me back into that realm of um, gratitude and just pure bliss to be alive the pure bliss of being alive and appreciating what you have and be kindness and the, the amount of kindness and the amount of um, sharing, like this feeling of everyone wants to share with you um, the little that, that they have. It was really mind blowing. And I, I, I still remember that up to now. Yeah. When I think about that trip. So I'm always curious about, someone's family unit growing up? Because for me, my family played a big part in who I am today and my belief system. Can mm-hmm. you tell us about that? Like your parents, do you have any siblings? What was that like growing up? Yes, yeah, so I grew up in a entrepreneurial family. So both my mom and my dad um, ran um, family business. And that's where my mom worked. Mom was the accountant and dad was the mastermind. And our whole family, we grew up helping out on weekends, on school holidays, being part of the business. So that, I didn't realize it until now, but that really has influenced me um, to be, to in terms of forming a mindset, how things don't happen, you have to make them happen. If you don't do it, it's not going to do itself. Um, and so that's one thing. And the other thing is, tenacity and the ability of you have to get up again the next day and do it and do it better and you you can't just give up there is no way right because if like for them if if they gave up like you know there'd be no food on the table right so it's to me that's one thing that think 
I can remember that my family has given me. And the other thing, again, is just the community feel, the feel that it's not just me, it's us, and not just that, just with our family, but our neighbors. And yeah, and the feeling of just being kind and, and, be, and again, going back to that sharing bit. And I remember, you know, guests coming in and, you know, they would, they, you'd always have to serve them something. You'd always have to, to share. It's that, that giving, that element of giving that I hope I still have. Um, but yeah, I think it's those three things that I think my family, yeah, has given me. And you've lived in a number of countries since since that Kenyan upbringing. You've lived in Asia, which we'll talk about, and obviously now Australia. Was that something that early on you wanted to do? Like, do you have any memories of early Prisca and, and wanting to experience the world and travel? Was that a desire you had? Very, very good. Good question. I do remember my teenage wood. Um, I was an avid reader. I remember because we had like, um, I don't know if you remember this, I don't know where you grew up, but in Kenya, uh, you had, because um, at 10 o'clock, the lights had to be switched off completely. Mm -hmm. So I remember like having a torch and I would keep on reading way past um, when the lights had been turned off. And I just loved reading. I I loved to be transported to another place. Um, and to experience what others are experiencing. And so I really did my teenage when, when my friends were going to parties and I was just reading, I could not read enough. And I think that played a part in my sense of curiosity of what else, what else, what can I experience, what can I see? There's, there's a whole experiences out there whether it's imaginary or not so and uh, yeah I, I hope that answers the question but that's an avid memory that I have that I just couldn't stop reading yeah. the other part of that question is probably how you define success at a young age I, I'm always curious like when you were 16 or maybe even 18 when you've got some understanding of the world you're building a maturity in yourself did you have again uh, ambition to want to do something in the world or want to be someone that's fair. another good question, actually, that makes me go back and acknowledge that for me, and I hope my parents don't hear me say this, <laughs> but, but for me, it was, I never, I don't want to, to finish school, not do well, and end up coming to work in the family business. Success was always about how do you create your own thing that's independent from who my family was, right? How do I create my own life that's independent and have a success that's separated from that? Um, I don't know if, if, if that makes sense, but to me, I remember that was my main ambition was I want to do very well. So I can go on and create a successful life separate to um, to coming back because there, there was always this thing that, you know, dad always wanted you to come and work in the business. And I was like, I don't think that's something I want to do. <laughs> so. Super interesting. And, and you mentioned earlier about your first job being in journalism. 
can you can you tell us about that like when you finished high school what was the influence that led you to journalism particularly as you mentioned your family you were running their own business so it'd probably be a bit different for you to go off and do something alternative to what they were doing Hmm. that's a good question um look i i i i I really don't want to say this because that'd be weird but i always one i felt like i always loved helping people right i i always it brought it brought it brought me even at a young age i do remember um just the the joy from helping someone from making someone feel happier from being there for somebody um uh, whether it's my friends or not and also seeing you know obviously growing in Kenya right and seeing a lot of corruption and how that was influencing the infrastructure and i know someone like at that young age how how was i having how was i having those thought processes but i was um you know how how the government that was in place you know how are they actually you know the like taxes that people pay is that going to the right place you know the roads were not great um and just questioning why is that and this is i think it's I've got it is the sense of fairness is this fair is this fair and to me up to now a sense of unfairness makes me angry it does make me angry um and so i wanted to to be able to actually almost be a lens to actually share that because i was actually in politics then so it was how i needed i wanted to share or to almost like make them accountable like how do i make these politicians accountable to what they're doing and how do i understand what's happening can this affect policy how can this affect change at a greater level to actually make a difference so this is what drove me into journalism how how do we create change how do we change things for the better and not just for the people who have the money but for everybody else who actually can't can't um feel like they, they don't have a voice who is going to who is going to represent these people who's going to look after them so i think it's that sense of fairness and sense of feeling like this is not right or like there's something i can do I can't just sit back and watch. I'm glad you shared that because that reminds me of conversations I have with one of my close friend Taps who grew up in Zimbabwe and he now mm-hmm. lives in Australia and I think he resonates with a lot of those messages and he's now in law to do that life of service and, and, and help others have a voice. Um, so completely resonate with what you're saying there. I'm, I'm curious to ask, when was the first time you left Kenya? Like what was the first country you visited or perhaps another city in Africa? Like do you... Do you remember that moment? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. So the first time, God, I think the first time actually I left was to Zambia, Zimbabwe. Mm. No, that's not true. First I was Tanzania just to cover a story and then Zambia, Zimbabwe. Um, but that was with a friend. But also while I was there, I was, you know, wanting to do like a feature on. Um, so I travel as more far more of a vacation, but obviously as a journalist, you're actually never on a vacation because you're, you're always thinking, you're always seeing, you always want to question. And so being in some Zimbabwe, I think I wrote a story about at that time, Zimbabwe was very de- developed actually compared to Kenya. Um, it was before everything happened. 
And so really just trying to compare two different countries in Africa and why is this one here and why is that one there and what the comparisons. Probably a good good transition to go into Magic Moments, Prisco. The, this is probably a segment listeners really enjoy and, and I frankly really enjoy because we go beneath the surface about some of your experiences in life and work. Mm-hmm. And, and the one I always like starting with is painful learnings because as you know, we've all had moments that are painful in the moment, but in hindsight were an awesome learning. Is, is there one that stands out for you that taught you the most but was really hard in the moment? Oh, God, I have that every day. I think it's <laughs> <laughs> That's the story of my life, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it could be one of your transitions because you've. Uh, I want to talk shortly also about your cultural experiences. And I read online that you, and we spoke about this prior to this recording, that you lived in China for many years. And I've been fortunate to have a few guests that have lived in China and they've spoken so amazingly well about the experience in China. Was there a magic moment there that led you to want to move to China? Um, Actually, my move to China is actually not as romantic as it may may seem. (laughs) (laughs) I moved to China because my partner um, at that point... um, had to move to China for work, right? And so I then chose to join him. And then when I when I got there, obviously, um, actually, I was wanting to actually explore um, to continue on with my journalism exploratory experience while, while I was there because there were so many stories and so many things. But that didn't happen for me um, for whatever reason. And so instead. I then got into recruitment, which is very interesting. So I don't know if you know Morgan and Banks. They were just opening an office in China and um, they, you know, we got introduced and they wanted someone in their sort of communication um, side of the business to, yeah. So, so that's what happened. And how many years were you in China again? Um, so the first time three years and then came back to Australia and then went again for five. Yeah. Wow. So you've been there for eight years. I imagine that would have a big influence in terms of, I know it influenced your views on sustainability and it probably led to Bearsop in, in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. What are your reflections on that? Cause I think China and, and the question I'm asking there is, I think the Western world has a certain perception of China and, and, and mm-hmm. I've seen this with guests who've been on the show, but then all of them who've lived in China and they've all lived like yourself as expats. They've spoken so glowingly well about China and, and sustainability is a funny one because when you think of China, you think of factories and you think of pollution and you yeah. think of labor labor being used in the wrong way. Yeah. Where, where, where did you first kind of connect with sustainability? Was it in China? Was it through one of your travels? I think... Think. First of all, I'm going to go back to, you, to, to what you said about China and my experience. And I do agree. I will reiterate and I um, agree with your other guests that I was amazed at the people that I met, um, the local um, our community, as well as obviously the expert community. It doesn't matter, more, more, a lot, I, <laughs> it doesn't matter much, but with the local Chinese community, they're such kind and friendly people, really, really kind and really friendly. And I actually 
don't remember meeting, like having any bad experience in China. And I, the other thing as well that affected me obviously is, is the hard work. Like they have this culture of hard work, which again goes back to again my parents and how I grew up and then living in China, whereby again, it's, you know, you've got to take action. It's always like you don't wait. If you want something to happen, you do it and you do it better and you do it faster. Um, because as you can imagine, you know, there's so many people in China, right? And so how are you going to get anywhere if you're not, if you're subpar? And if you're subpar, how do you improve yourself? How do you compete? But how do you compete in a way, obviously, that's, that's not healthy is not the word, that it's wholesome. But how do you, yeah, how do you do that? So look, when I was in China, um, I did then... Um, start to explore my um, ent entrepreneurship passion, which is, you know, it's funny me running away from going to, into my family business and then ending up being in mm. business. <laughs> which is, <laughs> I, feel like, I always think that's very funny actually, because, and it's funny because I enjoy immensely. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. I don't even know how I did anything else. Um, but being in China, again, seeing, oh, I don't know if I should go into this, but um, I don't know who's going to be listening to this, but at that time, obviously, sustainability wasn't a major thing. It, it's, it's a long time ago um, when I was in China. And I really don't know, don't know how to say like where that, that, that um, what kicked that for me. What was just an organic thing um, with obviously starting my first um and, and entrepreneurship that's also linked to sustainability and linked to to transparent supply chain. Because um, I think at that time as well, there was this thing of, you know, if it's made in China, then it's obviously, you know, it's either, you know, bad labor or all of those things. And being there, like wanting to change that and having like with my first uh, project or my first business, trying to link in. So people know exactly where everything is made and who makes it and working with the people that actually make it from the grassroots and bringing them in along the journey. Um, yeah. So again, if you ask me to tell you, how did that happen? I can't explain to you. It's just what, yeah, what I did. Yeah. But I'm glad you shared that because I think that would resonate with a lot of listeners where particularly young people today, and you, I'm sure you speak to many of them, there's a fear that they need to find that spark to to create change. And, and I think listening to you, it sounds like you don't need to find that one moment if you want to try something and do it. There's no harm in, in trying that, right, and experiencing different things. And it's probably a good time to go into the Bearsop story. I think that, that ties in well, obviously, with sustainability and, and, and the amazing work you're doing. I remember... The first time I came across Bearsop was on the Start Made Demo Day last year, and I was fascinated by you and, and the brand you're building. Having spent a decade in consumer brands, I think the just the, the way you've created the brand and the logo and the coloring and the message you stand for is exciting. Maybe maybe if you can tell us, take us back to day zero, like what, how did you start it? Like I know you talked just then about getting this desire to want to be involved in sustainability and have a message and stand up for doing the right thing. It's often easy to have an idea, but as you know firsthand, converting that to reality is a different world. What were those first steps that you said, okay, here's my idea, but you want to create a business around it? We were at the dinner table um, 
And um, my daughter was going on about, you know, um, the garbage in the Pacific patch and how frustrating that is. And, you know, this is why I'm going to school, mom, so I can do something about it. And, you know, because no one is doing anything about it. And, um, I'm, and it's going to cost so much money, you know, so that's what I want to do. And I'm like, hey, like, so do you think we like should wait? Like, do you imagine like waiting until you graduate, until we do all these things? Like we should start now. Like, but what if we actually start doing something now? Like everything that we all do is going to make a difference instead of waiting for that to happen. Like, again, how is it going to happen? Like, and so it's like, oh, actually you're right. I'm like, why don't we start like at home? What, what can we change? So at least we are starting to, be part of that solution, you know? And so with the kitchen, we're already doing a lot of stuff, going to the bathroom, then eating a block on what alternatives are out there and then finding out that the ones that are out there are actually not convenient or not working. And then that's, that's I would say, when the magic bulb or the, the bulb that you talked about before happened for me. Because I was like, Why? And I think linking again as a series of events, linking to me searching for something, linking to the curiosity that I spoke about before, linking to to the asking the, the question why and wanting to solve a problem for me personally, first of all, for our family and thinking this is interesting. So really going into Google, thank God for Google, finding out that, oh my God, this is nuts. You know, when you look about amount of single plastic coming from the bathroom and our, you know, hand, body, shampoo, and that everything you at that time, most things, 90% you find out there are packaged in single-use plastic. And funny, but why is that? Like we are we are way past 1905. This is this is crazy. Like, you know, we, we are going to the moon, and yet we still have this and anyway so I was really surprised but and then also through that surprise finding out um that you know the, the water content is just literally diluted water um so you just get a, you get a, a diluted sort of bottle of soap and it's been shipped all over all over the place and really i was like this is mind blowing and then um at that time i happened to kind of take that concept in my head and applied for the monash university um validator program where you actually can validate an idea um so i went through that program to validate sort of where my thought process was and talking to people actually they made me talk to about 200 people long phone calls um about like is this even a problem for you? How are you solving it at the moment? Like what products are you using? Um, and what kind of solutions would you like to have for you to actually do something? Like, do you even want to do anything about this? Um, which is actually the, that time was more about the single use plastic waste from, um, from personal care products. Um, yeah. So did that, um, the validation came back like, yeah, everyone has the problem. Everyone wants to solve it. Um, and they're trying, and again, the same problem as I was having, convenience, um, cost, um, 
the solutions actually are not solving the problem, greenwashing um, and all of those things. Um, yeah. And then went on to think, oh, my God, if we have a bar soap, which I I, I tried to use bar soap, but I just could just too messy um, for our lifestyle. But if you can actually do that for a bar soap and then, then there's a way that you can actually solidify the active ingredients. But I didn't know how that was happening. I remember, again, another magic moment, thinking, oh, my God, like face masks. There are face masks now, and they're in powder form. So there is a possibility that people actually are quite fine with powder because they're already doing that in their face. But is there a possibility to actually make, like, solidify the active ingredients into, like, a powder? Not the tablet, obviously. Um, is that even possible? Again, another research, I couldn't find anything that, that that's happened like that. But I was like, well, it's worth a try. Like, I could ask a chemist, can tell me, no, never never going to happen. Anyway, that, that's what I did. Talked to quite a number of chemists. And they came back and said, yeah, no, don't think so. Because A, B, C, and D kept on asking, kept on trying. Someone introduced me to somebody else, to somebody else. You know, how, how it happens. And probably by the... 50th chemist I was like yeah send me the, the info you have and I can come back to you and see um and then she was like yeah I think we can do it so that's the story quite a long story sorry <laughs> no thank you for sharing that because it's super I think the show is about being candid and, and that's really candid because listeners who are founders or want to be founders it's important they understand that it's not glitz and glamour there's a lot of unknowns and I really want to double click on that point you mentioned about validation and finding that product market fit. Because I know firsthand having worked in the consumer space and built brands, there's probably three aspects to it. One is finding if there's a market for it, two, getting partners and customers and three, actually building the operation around it. Like you talked about supply chain and given it's a physical product, finding manufacturing. And I'd love to go into that a little bit like what was that experience like? Yes, you've now discovered that there's a market and people want sustainability and you can create this product. I imagine the next step would be either go out and do a test launch or find a, a supplier or a manufacturer to help you create the product. So what was that experience like? Like, Is that part of the accelerator where you went through that process or was that after the Monash accelerator? Right. So actually after the validator... I then applied for the next one, which was called the Sprint with Monash as well. Mm. Um, and I did get in. Now, for the Sprint, the Sprint was about launching a pilot. So a prototype, right? So now that we, we found out we can do it, now that I'd got a prototype that worked, and you can imagine me jumping up and down my kitchen table, so amazed of oh my God, this is actually for real now. Um, and then thinking, okay, now I've tested it, it works. I need others to test it too, right? And I need to get some feedback, like, yes, we love it, or this is shit, or um, no, no way, it doesn't work. Or So I am very lucky that my chemist was able to actually make about 100 prototypes for me, 
right? Yeah. In these hundred prototypes, I was able to send to a network of hundred people to test. And then, so I sent them actually a very, very basic product. It was super basic. I think I have a photo somewhere. And send it to them and say, you know, I have this product, obviously. I would love you to actually test it for me and give me some feedback. So I gave it to them. About two weeks later, I followed up with a monkey survey with the questions where they would feel, you know, efficacy, smell, um, works. I love it. I, I, would, I would recommend it to my friend. I would buy it. How much would I buy it for? Um, so all the really key questions that you'd need to do at that stage to kind of lead you to kind of either to develop on the product even more or change it. So that came back really, really well, actually. Like, and th these were not my friends, right? Um, and it was an anonymous um, um, survey monkey style questions. So I didn't know who was answering what. Um, and yeah, they, they said most, I think 90% would recommend to their friends. Some had questions about, you know, this and that. Is it going to come in plastic? Is it going to do this? And so getting all the questions they were having led us into our next um, sort of full, full product. Touching on accelerators, you, you also went through the StartMate accelerator. And again, people might be curious about what the difference in process was between Startmate and the Monash accelerator for Bearshop. Were they yeah. a two-step process where you felt Monash gave you the entry in terms of Bearshop and then Startmate helped you really finesse your purpose with Bearshop? How would you differentiate the two accelerators? Look, they're quite similar, but the Monash to me, I felt like was a foundation sort of mm. accelerator whereby I thought I knew excuse me, I thought I knew most of the stuff that I thought I knew, but actually I didn't. And, you know, this was my third business and entrepreneurship and startup is something that actually I'm passionate about anyway. So I've read so many books in my, in my spare time just because I'm curious and I love it. So I thought I knew all the, you know, all the lean startup and everything else. And then I went to the Monash. I'm like, oh my God, you know nothing. <laughs> So I think that was the big thing with Monash because that's, you kind of need to have that before you go to start it, right? If you don't have that already as a foundation, I think there's, there's kind of a gap there. So that was one thing about the Monash. And then the Monash actually also opened a network for us, uh, um, the cohorts. Um, and then going into StartMate, StartMate was more of a network of mentors who are also investors. So you are talking to, to key leaders and experts in their field, but because you're part of the Startmate family, you can ask a question that you'd normally have to ask a consultant that's going to charge you $1,000 for, right? So to me, I think that that's a key difference. The Startmate is more, I love like, okay, now I'm... Um, not mature is not the word, but yes, I have done it. I know kind of what I'm doing and now I want to scale. And as part of that scaling, a big important part is capital. And right. and I don't know, you went through the crowdfunding route with Equitwise. Could you shed some light on that? Like what led to that decision? Because like you said earlier, the mentors in Startmate also invest their money. And, and there's often when you are a Startmate graduate, you've got a benefit of a lot of options to choose from was there a reason why crowdfunding appealed the most to Bearsop? at that stage 
um, my thought process was, and still is, like we are, we are a brand for the people. It's the people that has seen us to where we are now. And that's, you know, with the pilot, with everything else, people that have come around me as a founder, who have come around the, the concept. It's everyday people, right? Um, and uh, the beauty is I could do that and also still bring along um, the mentors from investors from, from start mates. Like, it's not like if you do one, you don't, you, you, it's not like you're doing mm-hmm. one without the other. You can do it all together. But um, yeah, for me, it was just bringing that community along the journey because community to me, even as we scale and, and, and continue on, is a big part of this for me. Um, and bringing the people you know, along the journey and because it's a people product and, um, and what we do is we want to create change, obviously, with humans and the planet humans and planet to us it's the key elements to everything that we do and so the more humans that we can bring along the better yeah interesting and i'm excited for that journey ahead as we get more into 2022 now time for the final sprint briska some rapid fire questions and and hopefully you can give me 60 second answers okay is there an investment you've made that you consider the best in your life non-financial oh non-financial okay um yeah, well, um, I feel like there are a few, but whenever I'm asked to um, to give my time in 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 any way, whether it's to you know foundation for migrants, whether it's you know a young person who wants to explore you know being a founder or someone who wants to ask me, okay, how did you do this? And that's something that I enjoy immensely. In fact, the more the better. I enjoy giving. One thing you'd like to learn in the next six months? The next six months, actually, this is interesting. I am actually starting to learn UXD. So I am actually, um, the little time that I have, which I don't have, but yeah, I am sort of taking um, just our own like self-taught UXD class because it's, only because um, another thing that I love is creating products, right? Creating products and creating products that are user-friendly. Is there one person or quote that inspires you? It's Barack Obama. How, how, how one person um, can come from nowhere and, and create change at scale. And we can all do it. We all have the power to do that. And when I look at his background and what he's achieved... Um, you know, obviously the fact that he's from Kenya is irrelevant, but um, I'm saying like, you know, really that inspires me. And I, I know there's so many other, it's really hard to actually pinpoint on one inspiration, but that's a clear one for me every time. Completely agree. I think I've probably seen 10 Obama documentaries in the last couple of years, trying to understand different aspects of his life. And yeah, it's very inspiring. It shows that if he can do it, anyone can and can try to to do it. That's a perfect note to end on, Priska. Very inspiring. So thank you so much for joining me on the show. I love what you do and I love the Bearsop brand and I'd encourage everyone listening to this to jump on your website or go out to the store and buy some products and help Priska achieve that dream and wish you all the best. Keep in touch. I cannot say how thankful and grateful I am for this moment. Um, thank you so much for um, giving me a chance to 
to share what, what we do and why. Thank you. I hope you took away some actionable insights and learnings from this conversation to apply to your lives and be 1% better every day. And I look forward to sharing the next episode with you next Tuesday. Stay tuned.